0: We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, and Cheryl, once again, is not with us, but we do have in studio again my mother, and your name is? Debbie Allnut. Debbie Allnut. And she is here again. (laughs) And some of you might uh, uh, recall, we've talked about before, how she and my dad were missionaries in the UK for 20 years. And they've recently— 22 22 years. (laughs) Golly, that's crazy. And they recently (laughs) retired. So this is a time of transition for you. But we got an opportunity at least to grab her again because she's more local now. And so— um, as you guys know, when, when mom's in town, we talk missionary biographies. <laughs> and so we take a break from our regu- regularly scheduled programming. You know, we were all doing, um, uh, we've been doing a series on the Reformation and that sort of yeah, thing, right. but we're going to, I know, but we're kind of switching out of that. Um, we're going to bring a bunch of guests and things like that. So um, going a different direction, but uh, we wanted to definitely take a minute and talk about some of these missionaries we haven't had a chance to share about. And actually today I want to talk about a more modern missionary named Marilyn Laszlo. And she's somebody that I actually wanted to share about a while ago, but I just wasn't able to circle back and get to her. So I was so excited when mom came because I figured, oh, we can talk about her together. And she was actually suggested by one of our listeners, Joy Selman. So shout out to Joy. And Joy, just so you know, we were on the same page because I wanted to share on her. So when you (laughs) sent that in, I guess it was just confirmation. We needed to do it. So um, here we are. Marilyn Laszlo, and she was a missionary uh, to the Sepik Iwam people of Papua New Guinea. And this is kind of fun. Another reason why it's kind of fun to have my mom here is that we have kind of almost a personal connection to ministry in New Guinea and even touching on uh, Marilyn a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You so your cousin um, or?
1: Yeah, my cousin Dan and his wife Janet um, were missionaries in Papua New Guinea for oh, 30 or more years. Wow. Sorry, Dan, if I got that wrong, but I know it's 30 years at least. And um, then my cousin Miriam, his sister, was there for two years. Um, I think she was teaching reading and music, which they loved because she, I think she either has her master's or doctorate. Um, wow! I in music that. and okay. teaches music, so they loved having her there. And Dan said that they they talked about her long after she had gone back to America because sure. they enjoyed her classes so much. Oh, that's so yeah. cool! And they had met. I think they had met
0: Marilyn Laszlo, right? And then
1: um, both Dan and uh, Miriam had met her. And
0: you. Didn't you talk to Miriam Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Miriam—yeah, that's true, Um, because I went and visited. They live in North Carolina now, and I was visiting. And she actually had pictures of when she had gone to Marilyn Laszlo's village and visited. Yeah. So, I mean, they spent, like, a whole weekend—I think it was over Christmas or something, because there's, like, Mm -hmm. a little Christmas tree there in the background. And so that—for me, that was kind of fun, because I've taught about Marilyn Laszlo in my missionary biographies class Mm -hmm. for years. And so it was almost like seeing pictures of a celebrity to me. (laughs) These missionaries are like, oh, they're just so amazing. So— that's such a fun connection. Anyways, yeah. that was just kind of neat. Like, oh, wow, they, they know her. So uh, Marilyn was born in 1933. She grew up on a farm in Valparaiso, Indiana, and there were um, no boys in the family. So she worked with her dad out in the fields and was definitely the tomboy of the family. Mm-hmm. So she was actually kind of mischievous as well. Um, one story was about how she and her sister and her cousin They found some cigarette butts, and so they snuck off behind the haystack to try to smoke them. (laughs) Gross. It's like, well, whose mouth was that on? Anyway, but then they heard their grandpa coming and um, freaked out, of course. They're like, oh, no, hide them, hide them. So they hid the cigarettes behind their backs, but they weren't thinking, and they just dropped them. Well, it ended up—they were still lit, and so the cigarettes lit the whole— bale of hay on fire. And so it was pretty obvious to grandpa that something was going on. Yes. Oh my <laughs> so Marilyn, that was Marilyn's idea. She
1: just instigated these little things. So she could be a little bit naughty. Doesn't that remind you of Amy Carmichael when she oh, almost, totally. she was often naughty when she was little. And yes. she almost poisoned, wasn't it? Oh yeah, her, all, all her the siblings. siblings. With the Ladburnum seeds in their garden. Oh,
0: yeah, that tree in their yard. Yeah, Laburnum or lab... I don't know how to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, my gosh. No, but exactly. I mean, just this little ringleader getting everybody in trouble. It was just like that. But it's cool because actually kind of like Amy Carmichael, even though she could be naughty, she was also um, really open and trusting toward the Lord. She Mm -hmm. had a really sensitive heart to the things of God from Mm -hmm. a young age, which is really sweet. And she actually... Uh, made public confession of her faith at a Billy Graham crusade, as so many did yeah. during that time. Yeah. And when she was 12, um, she heard some missionaries come speak at her little community church, and she made a little prayer to the Lord. She said, when I'm grown up, Lord, I wonder if I could be a missionary and go someplace where people have never heard about Jesus. Yeah. So sweet. And God is going to take her up on that, as we'll see. So after she graduated from high school, she spent the next four years kind of drifting from job to job, She dated several nice guys, but she had no peace about moving forward in any of these relationships. She was just generally very restless. And her pastor noticed this. Mm. And so he said, hey, Marilyn, what do you think about going to college? Well, nobody in her family had gone to college before, you know, surprisingly. And so um, she hadn't thought of that. But she ended up going to Bryan College in Tennessee. And she thrived in this setting. So she's still on the back burner, had that desire to be a missionary. But when she was in school and then after school, she was encouraged to become a coach and a teacher because she was just so gifted at communicating and Mm -hmm. she was athletic. And so she ended up teaching high school for four years. She got her master's degree in education and uh, psychology. Uh, And she just had a great influence on her students. She got to share the Lord all the time. So she was living a fruitful life. But, you know, that missionary... Thought was still in her head. It wouldn't go away. It was just kind of there. <laughs> so one day she confided this to a friend. And her friend just said to her, oh, Marilyn, you're not the missionary type. Mm-hmm. Well, she respected that friend. And so, you know, she put it off for another two years. Right. So, I mean, it's like, wow, watch what you say to people, yeah. you know, because <laughs> it really affected her. And so, But it's really neat because her biographer said then one night— She was jolted awake by what she felt was a voice from heaven. Mm. The Lord seemed to be saying, Marilyn, you promised me when you were a little girl that you would go to the mission field if I called you. I'm calling you now. Love that. I know. Isn't God good? Mm. And I love that even though she had put it off and been affected by what her friends said, the Lord didn't give up on her. He is faithful to bring about his purposes in his timing. And so, you know, it's, (laughs) he's got it. He's in control. I
1: love that. You know, we've, Sometimes we think, like when Samuel is called, Mm. um, that I'm calling you now. How specific is that? It's just what she needed. Yes. Too many voices sometimes. And then when he says something, you know it's him.
0: Man, that's so true. Yeah, we do. We have too many things going on. But I love that, yeah, the Lord's voice is loud enough. (laughs) Yes. He knew how to speak, like you said. So she told the Lord, "Okay, Lord, if you help me pay my debts, (laughs) I'll go because she was, you know, she had some school debts and things. And so uh, within days, she had a better paying teaching job and then she got another part time job waitressing. So within a year, she was debt free. Kind of miraculous, really, when you think about college loans and things Mm. like that. So uh, during this time, she now, you know, decided, "Okay, I'm going to go on the mission field. She began to pray and she set her sights on Mexico. But. Once again, dun-dun-dun, we have a distraction. Of course, a boy. <laughs> there was this wonderful godly man. His name was Don Daniels. And they started dating. Um, and as they got closer, Marilyn realized, you know, I really need to tell him about this call to the mission field yeah. and see where we, where he stands on this. They hadn't talked about it before, but this was just totally—obviously, Marilyn knew, this is what I'm called to do— maybe we could do this together. So she started telling him about Mexico. I think she even took him to a Mexican restaurant. Isn't this food so good? You know, like (laughs) winning him over. Um, But it's interesting because Don told her, you know, Marilyn, I can talk about Mexico with you, but I really don't feel called to the mission field. And then he, you know, admitted to her that he had thought of proposing. Yeah. But if she really felt like God was calling her to be a missionary, he couldn't do that with her. Whoa. And I just think, wow. What integrity. Really, to and just be upfront and honest. Yeah. Not wanting
1: to get in the way of what God wanted to do over his own desire. That's really cool.
0: I mean, really think about like what we were talking about with Maude Carey yes, and, yeah, and George. Yeah, I mean, just mm. the just their willingness to lay it on the altar. Yeah. Like, okay, Lord, your will above our own. Oh. I mean, it's really— yeah, beautiful. It's, it is. It's it's remarkable. And you know the Lord honored that. So, I mean, this was a very hard decision, mm. but Marilyn knew, you know, Don was right. And this was God's call to her. Maybe not to him, but to her. And so she actually laid marriage on the altar, and she ended up being single from that time on. So, uh, obviously, she was sad. She was still grieving the loss of this relationship, but she mm-hmm. moved forward and began to inquire into various missions organizations. And so um, the first response came from Wycliffe translators, hey, and they had workers in Mexico. So that settled it for her. Yeah. (laughs) And her biographer said, as Marilyn headed off to the University of Oklahoma for the Summer Institute of Linguistics courses, she told everyone who would listen, I'm going to be a Bible translator in Mexico. (laughs) She notified God, too, so it was final. I love that. I love the—yeah, just the little humor there in the biography. Like, by the way, God, this is what I'm doing, so— Okay, it's final. <laughs> but wouldn't you know it, as soon as she got to the university, God began to speak to her. Not Mexico, Maryland, New Guinea. <laughs> and she's like, New Guinea? That was totally oh not on her God. radar. And so Marilyn went through this huge spiritual struggle the entire wow. time she was there as this conflict raged within her. Mm. Um but the Lord finally got through to her, and she surrendered to mm-hmm. his call. And we're going to see that the Lord knew what he was doing. He always knows best yes. where we're going to fit.
1: Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> so by
0: 1968, Marilyn was in Papua New Guinea with her friend Judy Rayberg. And I believe that's how the Wycliffe translators would send people out as a team, right? Yeah. Two by two. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, Judy went with her to help uh, in the work. And so they hoped— to live among the Sepik Iwan people, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but, of course, they had to ask permission to live with them and learn their language. You didn't just march in and just, you know, like you own the place. You have to ask and make yeah, sure. Yeah. So I love that, the humility there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so the people of of uh, the Sepik Iwan people actually thought Marilyn and Judy were um, not human, that they were weak white oh, that's spirits. Right. That's right. Yeah, they thought that they were spirits. And so they decided it would be harmless enough to just let them live there, and so they were permitted to come and live in the village of Hana. It was like, well, okay, they're just spirits. It's fine. (laughs) So Marilyn and Judy uh, began to adjust to the joys, quote unquote, of jungle life, which would be, of course, you might imagine, huge bugs, reptiles crawling all over the place at night, fun Mm -hmm. things like that, mosquitoes. Um, but after just a month, they saw something much more disturbing than just a bunch of creepy crawlies. Mm. Um, they watched one day as a young boy, um, the son of Macapobia, and he was one of the important men of Hana. Okay. Um, his son had died and was about to be buried in a processional. And so uh, Marilyn and Judy are watching this procession and to Marilyn's dismay, she realizes that the boy is just unconscious. Oh, He's not wow. dead. He's still alive. Oh, he, she can see him breathing. Oh and so, you know, at this point, they didn't know many, much of the language. So with her little broken vocabulary, mm. she tried to tell the chief, his name was Sal Perry, yeah. um, that they needed to stop burying him. That boy's mm. alive. He's still breathing. So she's freaking out. But soon she realized that she was overstepping her bounds right. and needed to back down because the boy had been pronounced dead by those in authority, wow. you know, by the shaman, yeah, which we would call— uh, which like, doctor. which doctors, yeah. yeah. They had pronounced the boy dead and that's all there was to it. Wow. And so I mean, so difficult these cultural things.
1: That's terrible. Yeah.
0: Like, oh, wow. Yeah. What do you, yeah, what do you do? You watch helplessly oh, no. as this kid. So that's what they did. They're watching helplessly as this little boy gets buried alive by the mm. grieving parents. <sighs> and it was so traumatic for Marilyn and Judy that they actually had to leave Hannah for a little while. Yeah. Again, they're, they're fresh and new to all of this. And it, just to know how to cope and, Lord, what do you want us to do about all of this? Um, so they went to go and just seek the Lord, recover from the shock. Mm. And it's sweet because the Lord, um, in his grace, enabled them to return to the village. That's and it was amazing. I know, right? After a short time. I can't remember how long they were away. Right. But it's neat because the people welcomed them warmly as if nothing had happened. And so that was wow. very encouraging yeah. to them. So, again, obviously, they're Wycliffe translators, so they need to start learning the language. Yes. And so they plunged in. Um, and it's interesting. The Sepik language is very uh, beautiful and descriptive, grammatically very precise, which makes it rather rather complicated, actually. Mm. And so—but uh, little by little, they, they began to put the pieces together. They would go out and gather vocabulary all day, especially from the children. And that was really Marilyn's forte was out gathering vocab. Mm-hmm. And then Judy was really good at grammar. So she would tackle all the grammatical organization and the structural work.
1: I remember when I read this book years ago— mm, uh, but a funny story about um, them, they would point at a tree and try mm. to get the um, people to tell them the word. Oh, the word for tree. Yeah. And then they'd point to the house and say house. And then they'd point to, um, I don't know, something else. And mm-hmm. and the people kept saying the sepik word for um, finger because oh. they thought that they want, and with every time they pointed they were like wanting them to that's say, your finger that's your finger yeah. and it was what so are you funny. talking about that uh, is
0: awesome yeah I okay like that. so that probably took a little while to <laughs> oh. finally break through oh that's so funny those are the kind of things you don't think about no. with learning a language but yeah that's okay a little challenge that's so funny finger 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 i love those stories there's so many good stories honestly in um her biography in fact um there's another one um the kids were actually the best teachers. Once they figured out, uh, you know, oh, you want something besides finger. Yes. Guess, right. So <laughs> um, so they were just awesome teachers. But there was also an elder, kind of, a, an older man who didn't go out hunting anymore. He kind of just hung out in the village. And an elder of the village, his name was Nokian. And he decided to join in uh, when he saw what they were doing. And uh, he was a real character. There was a story um, that Marilyn told about how um, the men of the tribe— They would only wear a vine. That was their only clothing. They would wear a vine around their waist. And so uh, one day she got like a—she and Judy got like a—I don't know, a shipment of missionary goods. And some clothes were in there, some Western clothing. And so she found a pair of trousers in there. And she thought, oh, this looks like it would fit Nokian. So she gave him the the trousers. And he got so excited, he grabbed them and ran off to his hut. And then a little while later, he came back— Wearing just the belt, oh my, from the trousers, and oh she's my. like, "Wait, where are the trousers?" And he's like, "Oh well, I'm, you know, I'm wearing." He was wearing what was important. He wore the belt. Oh my <laughs> so he's like, "Well, this is an upgrade on my vine." <laughs> so, anyways, it's just really cute. So, um, when Nokian realized that the women were trying to um, write his language or what they called um, carve their talk, right? Wait, what? I think you. Wait, why would they they say carve? I think it had to do with—
1: No, no, but they used to carve on the banana leaves.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I think you would mention that. Yeah. yeah. So now, yeah, they're excited So they're going to carve instead of write their language. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So writing was carving for them. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're going to carve our talk, basically. And so he got really excited and started jumping in to help. But he felt like the women were taking way too long to figure it out. He's thinking, you know, we all do, right? We all think our language is easy. What's wrong with you? (laughs) And so Nokian decided that, well, these women are a little bit slow. They might need some help. And so he concluded that if they would eat sepik-iwam food, which, fun, included termites and grubs, num, 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 (laughs) that that would loosen their tongues to speak properly. Oh, no. So for a Westerner, that was a little bit. You know, literally hard to stomach, right? <laughs> but but I love this because, I mean, how humbling this must have been to accept the fact that the villagers yeah. actually thought they were kind of stupid. Yeah. yeah. But, but Marilyn and Judy were so cool because they didn't try to defend themselves or explain, we know what we're doing. We're really smart, you know. <laughs> they didn't try to do that. They just accepted the verdict. Yeah. Okay, they think we're kind of dumb. We'll <laughs> go with the suggestions. And so they did. They started doing what Nokian said. And so I just love that picture of humility.
1: Yeah. I just. Start for humility. Yeah. That's
0: yeah. Like the heart means. of Jesus. I mean, you yeah. think about it. Jesus became one of us and dwelt among us. And he yeah. could have. There must have been so many times where he wanted to just say, you guys, seriously. <laughs> but he was just gracious mm. dwelling among us. That incarnational thing that we always talk about with these missionaries, just yeah. going and being among the people yeah. as Jesus dwelt among us. And yeah. so. Yeah. um. As time went on, Marilyn and Judy started to have breakthroughs, and um, that made them a little bit more approachable. Remember, the women, uh, the people thought they were spirits. Right. Uh, but then when the people saw them suffering from malaria or infected sores or, you know, scratching themselves on thorns, that made them realize, oh, they're humans. Yeah. They're not spirits. Yes. So that actually was, you know, funny enough, that was a huge breakthrough. You know, I think I read, too, though, that
1: um, they still thought of them as it— they they weren't sure if they were men or women yet at this point. Oh, how funny. But they definitely thought they were human. So they
0: referred to them as it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It, I remember that. Such a process. It's, yeah. Over yes, time, but it you just, just over time. Be patient. Don't, yeah. you know, correct everyone. I just. <laughs> and so their language grass began to grow. Marilyn and Judy, maybe they got to stop eating grubs at that point. I don't know. <laughs> so Marilyn and Judy uh, developed a Sepik Iwam alphabet, grammar. I mean, when you think about. The pioneering work that these people did, um, it's just really remarkable, Mm. you know, the patience and the, you know, just the perseverance and focus. And so once they had this foundation, they were ready to start teaching the Sepik Iwam to read their own language. And in the early days, the young boys, they were the the eager learners, as you can imagine. Mm. They were also the quickest because language learning generally, it comes easier to young people. So they just were little sponges and soaked it up. And so they eventually would become language teachers for the rest of the tribe and even the first christians as we'll see wow so um soon a few adults here and there started to kind of catch on and you know people started to be proud of the fact that oh we have a language that's being written down and mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. a few of them even started to um ask for what they called papa god's carving that was uh the bible that's how they referred to the bible right. in their language so uh, six years passed, you know, during this time of language learning. And then uh, Judy prayerfully decided it was time for her to move on to another assignment. Right. Um, I, it's not really clear what that was, but the Lord called her away. And right. so Marilyn was devastated. It, mm. She was really lonely. Um, of course, some short-term helpers and visitors came, and that took the edge off. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. That helped. But uh, the Lord didn't answer her prayer for another full-time partner for another six years.
1: Wow. I know that's a long time. It is a long time,
0: but in the meantime, there was a lot that the Lord wanted to do. So God kept her busy, um, not just with language study and Bible translation, but there were a lot of other practical areas that the Lord wanted to use Marilyn. And we mm-hmm. see that with a, a lot of these effective missionaries. Mm-hmm. You know, they go out to bring the, the gospel and bring the Bible, but there's yeah. these neat byproducts right. that come with that to help those that they're ministering to, and uh, especially concerning disease and medicine. Um, like I said before, there were a lot of uh, shamans, traditional shamans in the village. Um, or a witch Witch doctor. Witch doc- yeah, it's yeah. a witch doctor. That might be a more familiar term. Yeah. Um, and they knew a lot of effective remedies from local herbs. Um, but whenever they used spirit possession and incantation to try to cure people, that's where Marilyn was like, oh, no, I, I can't go there with this. She did befriend them and try to learn their remedies, but she had yeah, to draw the line right, right. with the demonic stuff. <laughs> yep. Now, the shamans were called spitters. Um, because they would do this um, ceremonial spitting, um, and then they would also chew roots to spit into wounds. So that's, I don't know, for whatever reason, that's what they were yeah. called. And they were highly respected. Nobody ever questioned them. So that's why it was so difficult for Marilyn to introduce what they called her foreign medicine. Right. And so um, even though after a while the people trusted her to treat mitre bumps and bruises— a spitter was the only one given the difficult cases like, um, you know, malaria, hepatitis, tuberculosis, um, a de- disease called yaws, which was kind of like leprosy. Right. And that ran, ran those ran rampant through the tribe. And so Marilyn is watching them <laughs> get mm-hmm. sick and sometimes die month after month. And it was so Strating. frustrating. Yes, yeah. totally. When she had treatment readily available. Oh
1: gosh,
0: yeah. Yeah, so— Kind of like, you know, that little boy. Yes. Remember that story. Yes. Geez, And so, I mean, here she is again, just constantly, Mm. you know, um, held back from being helpful. And so she realized she needed a breakthrough.
1: Yeah, she needed a breakthrough for sure.
0: Yeah. And so, interestingly enough, it was because of good old Nokian that Mm -hmm. the first breakthrough happened, interestingly. So he contracted malaria, and the people decided to use him as a test case for Maryland's medicine because he was so old— The spitters had given him up for dead anyway. So they're like, well, why not? He's on his way out. wow. (laughs) I know. Kind of interesting. So Marilyn proceeded to give him an injection. And um, to do the injection for malaria, she had to go into his bum. But the funny thing was that his skin—remember, these people didn't wear clothes. And so his skin was so tough and leathery that it actually bent the needle. wow. I know. And so she had to pretend that this was normal. No big deal. And so instead of being taken aback, she tried once more— Forcefully, <laughs> with success, yeah. and the people watched all of this and thought, "This is ridiculous." His his head and his chest hurt. Why are you injecting him down there? Oh yeah. And they even said, "I don't know about you people, but we're never sick down there." Okay. <laughs> yeah. But later in, the, so they're making fun of her. But then yeah. later in the day, Nokia suddenly made a you know one eighty recovery, yeah. completely yeah. turned around. And so some of the skeptics began to be convinced. And this was one breakthrough, you know, that would take many, but it was one big breakthrough over, yes. really over the enemy mm. and the, you know, the bondage that the people were under with witchcraft and right. all of that. Nokian said, Papa God didn't want me to die. He wanted me to see his car- talk carved on the banana leaves. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> yeah.
0: So this was a major breakthrough, like I said, but it was just the beginning of that battle for... Um, Full, I guess you could say, medical favor right. among the tribe. yep. And yet, little by little, Marilyn began to make headway. And she came to realize, you know what? Maybe what I need to do is come at this with, from a different angle, uh, the angle of prevention. And so what happened was that made her think this was— um, she actually had to get deathly ill herself <laughs> oh. in order to get their attention. Okay. So what happened was she was invited to eat um, wild boar at Chief Perry's house. Okay. But it was um, late at night, and so she really couldn't see what she was eating. So she ate this— oh, no. I know. It was meat that was really uh, poorly cooked. And so Marilyn ended up getting really bad trichinosis. And so she actually had to get airlifted out mm. and returned to the States for a year—
1: that's kind of like what happened with Maud Carey, remember? Yes, um, it was either tainted milk or or
0: meat or undercooked meat. Yeah, interesting. And that's that's brutal. That's like a, yeah, that's a pretty gnarly bacteria or f- mm. whatever it is that you have to get rid of. So, um, it turned out that she, but well, it was actually a good thing she ended up having to go home because she also had hepatitis and ear fungus, malaria, a spot on her lung, mm. hypoglycemia. I know.
1: <laughs> Which is also like mod. I know. It was it was a good thing that she got out
0: for a little bit. Totally, yeah. one disease after another. So, from this wake up call, um, Marilyn um, was able to convince the people that they needed to cook their meat longer because they felt so bad that they almost killed her. Right, yeah. and so as a result, no one ever died from trichinosis again. That's brilliant. So, like I said, this was where she realized, ah, I need yeah. to prevent disease yes. because if once they're sick. Nobody will let me touch them. <laughs> That's right.
1: That's super.
0: And so nobody let me help. So maybe if I prevent the disease. And so uh, for another example of this, she got the idea to start catching rainwater in tanks to provide the village with fresh water. And um, because she was loved and trusted on many levels, the people did actually respond to this, built the water tanks. And so they were able to prevent waterborne illnesses. Awesome. And so, I mean, the disease and the um, death went down dramatically as a result of this, and so um, this really improved the quality of life, length of life for the people. Um, and then Marilyn also found other ways to practically serve and help the people. Um, when she saw traders coming in to the village, to, um, she saw that they were taking advantage of the Sepik Iwam by mm. exchanging um, cheap little trinkets for these really valuable crocodile skins that the Sepik Iwam had gathered and hunted. They were crocodile wow. hunters. Wow. Right. So they have these skins and those were worth so much money. And the people are just accepting these just cheap little trinkets. Yeah, it was lame. It was so mm-hmm. lame that the the traders were ripping them off, basically. Mm-hmm. And especially because the people in Hana could only count on their fingers and toes. They couldn't get much farther than that. So the traders could easily just, you know, rip okay. them off. All right. And so Marilyn watched this for a while and she decided, you know what, I need to teach them how to do math that's going to change things. And again, that was a big deal because it took a long time for the adults to warm up to her ideas. But finally, she convinced them, hey guys, I can help you with the trade aspect here of the village. And so um, she had made a little classroom in her house. And so she brought them all in and they were willing to come. And she taught them math. She taught them how to use calculators. (laughs) And so it was awesome because the next time the traders came in thinking, oh, we're going to get another good deal out of these people, all of a sudden, the, the people of Hana pull out—the men pull out these calculators <laughs> oh and start goodness. telling them what they're going to charge them. <laughs> oh my and so they could never get cheated again. It was Aww. like, okay, wow, these oh people, they know what they're doing now. Wow. And so this was monumental because finally, Chief mm. Sal Perry began to respect Marilyn's ideas. Uh. He was the one that really all of this hinged on, and he took a long time to come around. Hey. As you can imagine, he wants to protect his people from weirdness. Yeah. He cares. And so he wants to make sure she's, you know— that what she's saying is sound, but she's seeing him help them over and over again, and so gaining his favor was a big step, of course, in getting people to learn math, so but she also must the language. Be about ten years into this, right? Yeah, I think point? six, eight, ten, eight, or eight yeah. to ten years. Yeah, it's it's yeah. been a while now. I okay. mean, this took wow, that's a long time to get the chief's favor, but <sighs> yes, to persevere. Yeah. Wow. Totally. I know. It, it is amazing. You see that a lot with these stories. I remember back with Gladys Aylward, how long it took for the Mandarin of her town yeah. to come to Christ, but just yeah. he had to watch her for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And that was really a big moment, right? So, yes. I mean, same thing here. And remember, that was the ultimate goal. Like, yes, math, all of these things are great, but she wanted them to all learn the language so that they could. Read the Bible. Yeah. And she could translate it for them. Meet
1: Jesus.
0: So, Marilyn came up with a really clever idea to try to win Sal Perry over uh, completely. So, what she did was one day she had to go to the base at Unkarumpa. I love that name. <laughs> and while she was there, she wrote a message in Sepik Iwam asking if they wanted her to bring supplies back for the village store. And then she had one of the Wycliffe planes go and drop the leaflets with that message all over the village of Hana. Okay. And so about a week later, Marilyn returns and Chief Perry comes up to her and he says, hey, these leaflets fell. What did these say? And she said... Oh, man, Sal Perry, it's too bad you couldn't read this because if you could have read this, you would have realized I was asking you if you wanted me to bring back some supplies oh for the village. And you could have, you know, gosh, if you would have known. <laughs> Super clever. So at last he was convinced. He's like, OK, that's it. We all need to learn to read. <laughs> and so everybody. And so he that's once weird. he ordered everyone to read, that was it. That was the green light. And so a lot of Marilyn and Judy's original language helpers were the ones that were appointed as teachers, like I mentioned earlier. Mm. And from this group of young men, all the future tribal leaders and pastors would emerge um, and a translation team to begin that task of Bible translation. Super. So, uh, So Perry makes his announcement. All these people start learning how to read. And eventually they ran out of room in Marilyn's little house. So in 1974, the people of Hana undertook this huge building project, um, which included the construction of a school, a clinic, a store, a church, and a translation house. Wow. I know. That's a lot. It is. But it's really neat because Marilyn wanted them to own it. And so she made sure everyone pretty much had a role to play in the village, whether helping in the store or um, some of the elders. Hey, you guys can uh, preserve and pass down ancient Sepik Iwam culture as teachers. So she put them all to work. That's so good. I know, right? Um, What does a dad always say? Pushing ministry down, kind of just giving it away to everybody else.
1: So
0: So, uh, most importantly, of course, Marilyn began teaching theology um, and the life of Jesus. And even before the translation was done, people were starting to give their lives to the Lord. Wow. So
1: Finally, after eight years— so the yeah. gospel is now starting to take preeminence. That's so good. Eight years,
0: I know, right? And we might look at that and be like, "Uh oh, is she doing the right thing? She should have gotten the gospel in there sooner." Well, there was no way. There wasn't. Yeah, she yeah. had to plow. And had a plan. And yeah, I love. That's a good point, Mom. It was you know eight years. Now the gospel's finally coming in. Yep. So in 1976, Marilyn and her translation team got to work finally, and it's neat because even during this translation process, the Lord really moved through His Word. Uh, for example, the Sepik Iwan believed that all human clans descended from the crocodile, python, cassowary bird, and the wild boar. And so Marilyn was a little apprehensive because she had to explain to them that, well, according to the Bible, man was made from the dust of the earth. Right. Um, but as soon as she told them, they were so thrilled. They're like, <laughs> oh, that's the truth? Okay, cool. That's amazing. I know. They just accept it. They never questioned the creation story. I mean, it was just this straightforward, beautiful faith. Hey, okay, cool. They just believed. I love that. What a, I mean, it's kind of. Prepared hearts. Yes, prepared hearts. I love that. Kind of a rebuke. You know, in a way, I'm like, wow, I want my faith to be that straightforward and just Mm -hmm. believe what God says. In another instance, they were talking about the term sin and how awful it was. And so Marilyn asked them, well, what do you guys consider a sin? To her surprise, the first five things they mentioned were five of the Ten Commandments. Wow! Which is crazy. You know, these principles had not come from the West or some other source. They had been passed down from their ancestors. Wow! And so it just goes to show, you know, God can write His law on people's hearts. Yeah. At any time, like
1: um, in Ecclesiastes, where it says He's written eternity um, mm-hmm. in our hearts, or in Romans one that the evidence of God is all around us.
0: You know. Yes. Right. That's true. Yeah, like uh, in the creation, so men are without mm-hmm. excuse. Yeah. Yes, that is so true. Those they are great scriptures. To, they were prepared. Absolutely. Wow, and they received. That's beautiful. That is so cool. It just goes to show, man, we put God in a box. He is so much greater and can do these out-of-the-box things <laughs> and show yeah. people. So uh, my favorite story involved the village spitters oh, who Marilyn too. invited. Oh, I, I love this. this one. It's this is so such a great good. story. So Marilyn invited them to help with the translation for the purpose of accuracy, okay? She's bringing everybody on board. One night as they gathered together, a young man began reading that day's translation of Mark eight twenty three and 24, which says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around, yes, he said. So the boy reads this passage uh-huh. And the spitters are just floored. They're like, "Wait a minute. Jesus did what? He spit. Oh, that's so something they could totally relate to. And so they that. started referring to Jesus as the greatest spitter who ever lived. <laughs> and so great. they started, I mean, from this point on, I mean, these guys had been very skeptical. You got to understand the the witch doctors, they were not coming, you know, yeah. le- coming easily to no. this uh, to the gospel. I mean, they, uh, you know, had been skeptical, but now from this point on, it blew open the doors. It was so easy for them to accept all of the miracles in the Bible. Everything Jesus did because they saw him as the greatest spitter. Oh, and ultimately, most of the hundred and sixty spitters in the village gave their lives to the Lord, including Isn't that. Awesome? I know. I love it. Macapobia and Salperi the chief. So wow. this was just amazing. And I was even thinking, you know, here in the West, we often wonder when we read that story. Yeah. Yeah. Why did Jesus spit? Yeah, why would Jesus <laughs> spit on this guy? That, you know. But, you know what? Maybe. Maybe. Just maybe Jesus did that because he knew one day this would be the means of salvation for a group of people like the spitters, Isn't who beautiful? would never have understood who he was. I, I don't know how the spitters would have come to Christ otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was just the link that they needed. I mean, he's God. He knows everything, so why not? Why yeah. could he not do that? Yeah. I love that. And so oh, the Lord so brings his word to life through any part you know, he can use any part of his word to do this. So Maryland um, kept seeing uh, salvation and growth take place. The word was translated. New Christians were affecting the community. And then um, in 1979, Maryland's prayers for a partner were answered. Her sister, um, Shirley, came to live with her and she was a school teacher, So she was a huge asset. And then again, they were training at this point. Now they were able to train and uh, give mm. over the ministry, so much of it, to the people themselves. And word of what was going on in Hana reached other villages. And so uh, even their enemies heard about it. And, and, the Hana, and the people of Hana reached out to them. It was just amazing. One afternoon, two boatloads of people came from a village called Mapisi. And uh, they spoke a different language, but it was obvious they had a lot of d- illnesses that they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so the people of Hana said, you know what? Come stay with us yeah. so we can treat you. Yeah. And so they spent a month there. And as they watched and saw everything in the village, the people of Mapisi began to beg Marilyn to visit them and put God's carving in their language, as he had done uh, for the people of Hana. We want the Bible. We want God's carving like you did for them. And so a few months later, after the people of Mapisi were healed and went off, Marilyn and a few others visited them. And they were greeted warmly, of course. Mm -hmm. And they found something really surprising in the village. And I'm almost done with here. This is just the last story, and then I, I'll wrap up. But I love this story. Uh, here's what her biographer said What is that building? Marilyn asked. Oh, that is our CEOS, the village leader proudly told her. Your church? Do you have a missionary here? No, he answered sadly. We don't have a missionary here yet. Well, has a national pastor come to teach you? No, we don't have a pastor. We have no books. We have no one to teach us, the headman told her. Well, then why do you have a CEOS? Well, when we visited Hana, we saw everyone going to church. We saw people learning to read God's talk and singing songs about God and Jesus. So when we came back here, we told our people all about your church. And we decided we needed to build a church. So Papa God will see that we're ready. Now we're just waiting. Oh my God. And so I right? I mean
1: It's it's so um amazing. It's it's both tragic. It's and, yeah. Um beautiful at the same yes. time. Because What they saw in their neighbor's lives was creating Mm. a longing in their own lives. It's like, that is
0: so— So cool. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it created something that they knew they wanted. And so it's so neat because now, uh, praise God, they didn't have to wait any longer because now that Mapisi's existence was known, Mm. the Lord raised up a couple new translators to go and live among them. Super. And bring the gospel and the Bible there. So cool. So— Uh, You know, the Lord just used the people of Hana even beyond their village in beautiful ways. And so in the middle of all of this, don't forget that Bible translation was happening. And so on June 24th, 1988, the Sepik Iwam New Testament was finished. It had taken 7,305 days, 20 years. (laughs) Wow. Nuts. And so Marilyn's biographer said the impossible had just become possible. And so— Marilyn eventually uh, went back to the States where she became a—I think she became a representative, right, for Mm -hmm. Wycliffe and a speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, And God's word continues to go forth among the Sepik Iwam to this day and beyond, right, beyond them. So what amazing fruit from the word of God— coming yeah. among them. Right. So I, I think okay. in 2018, Marilyn was diagnosed with um, an aggressive case of Alzheimer's mm. and was at home in Indiana at that point.
1: I think. Right. And I, I read in a C- uh, Christianity Today article, I think it was that last year, um, she passed away in August mm. 2021. And the CPIC C- P- um spent five days in mourning. Wow. Her going and mm. um, they covered themselves in mud and um, in order to grieve and then plan a way mm. that they might um, honor this woman wow. that changed their lives. Um, so by, sweet. Right way by bringing them the gospel. I love that. I yeah. Love that. And then I think her sister Shirley, um, it said she stayed with them until the outbreak of COVID 19.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is all just so recent. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, oh, man. Mm. So, what a legacy. And so, um, there's several. I think there's quite a few resources. I think you had those written down. I don't have them here. But uh, Marilyn's biography. I know her biography was Mission Possible. There were there's, a couple other sources. There
1: are. There's two other books. One okay. was called um, Miracle in Cannibal Country. Mm. And <laughs> the other one was A is for Airship. <laughs> then there's three films. Wow. Um, Mountain of Light. Okay. Come by here and return to Hana.
0: I love it. Awesome. So those are great resources. We'll put those on the website so you can hear. So we're all out of time. I know this was an extra long episode, (laughs) but I figured, hey, you know, it's worth it once in a while to go, you know really in depth here. And it's just like I said, it's just so fun to have my mom here to share these missionary stories that we know and love and want to. Yes. Thank you, Cheryl. Yes. (laughs) For the opportunity. Yes. So and thank you, audience, for joining us again on another episode of Women Worth Knowing. We look forward to coming back together with you again next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at
1: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget
0: to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends.